Welcome back to Those Happy Places, the podcast that treats theme parks, rides, and attractions like literature. I'm Buddy Duquesne. And I'm Alice White. And Alice, we are back at it again for another episode of Those Happy Places. It has been a ridiculously busy period for both of us. Yeah, it's, I think, been a pretty busy period for uh, a lot of people. And we apologize uh, greatly for the... uh, for the gap between episodes, but we are back with a uh, with a good one, I think. Yeah, this is going to be a great topic, uh, and it's a topic that's been on our minds and in our inbox for some time, right? Absolutely. Uh, a, a listener named Joe W. emailed us about this topic uh, probably months and months and months ago, <laughs> and we've been dancing around the idea and plotting and thinking about it ever since. And now I think we're ready to talk about it. Yeah. So uh, today's episode of Those Happy Places is about immersive theater, uh, specifically as it relates to the idea of theme parks. Absolutely. And now you might think, well, why would immersive theater and theme parks go together in the same sentence? <laughs> and you might also think, well, of course theme parks are a form of immersive theater. And I think that's what's so great about this like question is, like, are theme parks immersive theater? Can we call theme parks immersive theater? Are some immersive theater and others not? Um, it, it really does beg the question because if there's one thing that we talk about when it comes to theme parks, it is immersion, right? Immersivity, like, I believe, is a, is a is word term. that we coined uh, maybe two whole years ago on those yeah. happy places. And if, if we are, we are nothing else if not effective at branding. Um, so, uh, yeah, immersivity is a shared uh, trait between these two forms of entertainment, but... I guess then the question is, are theme parks theater, right? Right. Um, Some people would say that it's not theater, and others might point to Disneyland using theatrical terminology as indication to the opposite. Uh, Disneyland uses words like cast member and onstage and backstage, uh, clearly tying it to theater. Um, but when somebody says, I'm going to the theater, they're not necessarily, uh, suggesting that they're heading to a theme park, right? (laughs) I mean, there are theaters at theme parks. (laughs) Oh, that's um, true. And that's, that's a whole nother can of worms. But if I said to you, like, uh, I can't tonight, I have, I have tickets to the theater. And then (laughs) I posted on social media that I was just at Disneyland, like, you might, you might question my use of words. Right. So clearly they're not exactly the same, but they definitely have some shared characteristics. And maybe we should start with a, uh, with a little history and definition of what we mean by immersive theater. Yeah. So the way I understand it, and Alice, feel free to, uh, you know, uh, correct me if I sound wrong, but immersive <laughs> theater is a style of theater that, especially in recent years, has experienced something of a renaissance um, that focuses on breaking down the barriers between performers and audiences. Um, you know, immersing audiences in new, unique environments 
changing the format of the stage to take up entire buildings or entire uh, areas. Um, you know, it is theater beyond the stage. <laughs> No, absolutely. You you totally nailed it. That is what we understand as the, the like modern idea of immersive theater. But the history of immersive theater goes back um, pretty much to the beginning of human history. Uh, immersive theater finds its roots in uh, ancient call and response stories. Those um, found in uh, shamanism, heavily used in African-American stories and music, like gospel and other Christian traditions, but even older than that in drumming traditions and uh, in line dancing. It's heavily used in children's activities, all sorts of things. It's like call and response, where the person performing says something and the person in the audience responds with the appropriate response. And all of these these traditions that I've just mentioned um, use the relationship between the person telling the story and the person answering the call to bring in the audience and lets them help tell the story so they can connect to it further. Um, this idea came to um, to theater like properly um, in probably about the mid-century, British and American theater especially um, love to mess with like sites and formats. Uh, especially in like the 60s, they love to perform theater. They love to perform plays outside and in site-specific locations. Um, and yeah, it really took off in the last like 20 years or so uh, when when directors decided to take classic plays, lots of Shakespeare, lots of like ancient plays and ancient stories, and reformat them for our new technology and modern world. Yeah, and and I, I guess that idea that um, immersive theater is like really taking off right now, but that it's kind of always been around is a really important part of understanding it as an art form. Like uh, when you were, you know, talking about the history, I was reminded of certain traditions basically around the world where somebody in town will dress as a certain mythical figure and go door to door and, uh, you know, do some kind of ceremony or interaction with people. And that's an old tradition. Oh, yeah. A lot of variations. Yeah. And it's definitely a form of immersive theater, right? There's a character being played and there's a understanding of the fiction of it all. But also the theater comes to you. Um, right. And I think that's a really cool thing is... Immersive theater is immersive in the sense that we recognize it as a fictional situation that we put ourselves in, but we remove a lot of the uh, kind of constructedness of that. We try to make it feel more natural, um, you know, and, and instead of a stage with a picture frame around it, a proscenium, if you will, um, <laughs> we draw a magic circle around an occurrence and say... This is the fake fun fiction that we're going to take place, or we're going to take part in. Um, but it's also something that we live um, instead of something that we watch or consume. So, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And there's two like really specific um, pieces to this that kind of um, take immersive theater to the next level. And any kind of immersive theater can use like one or both of these ideas. Um, and but it it. You need at least one of these to really be considered uh, immersive theater. Um, one of these things is uh, is called site-specific theater, 
which uh, can be just a staging in a not theater, like out in the park or, um, you know, in a bar somewhere. Or that time that I went to go see Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber Fleet Street, in a working pie shop in New York City. Absolutely ridiculous. Re- that is, absolutely that is, ridiculous. That is too cool. It was so much fun. Um, but at no point were we asked to, say, participate in the story. We were just in a, in a space that helped tell the story further. So that's like site-specific theater. Um, participatory theater, on the other hand, asks audience to um, shed self-consciousness and social norms and play along with the story. So, like I said, in the pie shop, we were not asked to... Um, you know, become Sweeney's victims or whatever. You know, we weren't we weren't like part of the show. Yeah, we that just... actually sounds like it would be really bad. <laughs> that would be really probably not great. Not fun. Um, but say at a um, at, at this is a, a really famous example, really famous current example uh, at the play Sleep No More, also hosted in New York. Uh, you are asked to participate in certain scenes. Um, and you you wear you wear masks and, and stuff and it's uh we'll, we'll I'll talk about sleep no more in a little bit but that is not just a you are not just in the site you are actually playing along with the story and so participatory theater immersive theater in general but uh, especially participatory theater will do go out of its way to stimulate all senses. Um, sometimes they even like serve food and drinks and stuff to like really get in there to, to stimulate every sense, um, and to make sure that you are completely 100% immersed in the world of the story. Yeah. And now that we have laid all of that bare and kind of qualified immersive theater as a, like a term, as an idea, and you know, thought it over and described, I, I feel like I am getting closer to agreeing that theme parks are a form of immersive theater. Like, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm there yet, but I am starting to lean towards that idea because a lot of that sounds like what you might do at a theme park, especially site-specific and participatory uh, kind of shifting between each other. Sure. Um, and you end up doing both over the course of a standard day at a theme park. Sure. Well, I mean, especially Disneyland, as an example, does a lot to to put you in specific sites. Like Galaxy's Edge, for example, literally builds the theater around you and constructs an area that is specific to this is Batu. You are in Star Wars. <laughs> Look yeah. around you. Everything you see is site-specific and participatory. The stormtroopers can come up to you and start interrogating you to see if you're a member of the resistance. That's site-specific and participatory kind of all rolled into one. Yeah. So, uh, case closed then, right? End of, end well, of episode? <laughs> I, I mean, we could, we could say, okay, we've talked about it, we've defined it, we've kind of, you know, decided on something, or we could complicate it. Because, you know... Is is it actually a theatrical production? Is it a, a contained story? Is the goal to immerse you in the lives of characters and events of the play? Like, we should talk about some examples of immersive theater we have done or been to 
um, as outside of theme parks. So, sure. and, and then maybe we could kind of compare them and see how theme parks measure up. Sure. I really liked your use of the word done there, your use of the verb done. Um, that's, that is something that I think is really important when we talk about immersive theater. I'm going to pop right on back to the example of Sleep No More. So didn't really uh, say that much about it before, but uh, Sleep No More is a production of Macbeth that is performed in a, in a space that's very that's specifically designed to, to help you tell the story. In a way, it's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure version of Macbeth, but it's, a, it's like a self-guided choose-your-own-adventure story where you, the audience, everybody wears a mask. It's like kind of scary, a little erotic by nature. It's been compared a little bit to like Eyes Wide Shut, um, where you've got your mask and, and you're free to kind of wander the space and participate in and and discover your way through the story of Macbeth. Um, I've never done Sleep No More. And that that's, again, the word the word done, Sleep No More, is how people say it. If, you, if you're in New York or if you're in the theater scene and people say, have you ever done Sleep No More? They don't say, have you ever seen Sleep No More? They, they don't, um, you know, they don't ask if, you know, if you've just, like, watched it. The idea is that you do it, you participate, and you're involved, and you're you're part of it, um, and so that it's like a really important important verb. Um, so so another example, also in in New York, um, now closed a couple of years ago, but um, uh, Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, a very famous, very successful com- commercially and critically successful musical from a few years ago was a very specific example of, it was site-specific theater. When it started, it was in a tent, just kind of propped up in the middle of New York. Um, and then it eventually moved into a theater, but they kept the the tent and like circus atmosphere of it. Um, they have seats on the stage. The actors wander the theater and kind of get in your, get in your face a little bit. Uh, at one point I had a drink in my hand and then, uh, an actor came over and, and cheers me and, and took a drink with me. Uh, and, and so you are invited to to be in the environment, but you do not have any effect on the story. Um, you don't really get to speak or, or do anything other than sit and watch. So the, the difference between, that's again, the difference between like site-specific or participatory uh, theater. Yeah, and the way you describe it as kind of more focused on the, like, environment and less focused on the participation of the audience does seem to draw a clearer line. I mean, my question for you, I I never got to do Sleep No More or The Great Comet, um, but... Uh, it, it seems to me like Great Comet kind of gets closer to like a dinner theater. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even, but like a really well-executed dinner theater. And I wonder how immersive we can really call that. Right. Well, you have some experience with like with like dinner theater, don't you? Oh, me? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I was once the star of a uh, dinner theater production. Um, uh, it was a melodramatic, uh, melodrama theater, um, uh, that only put on melodramas. Um, and, you know, it was a very old time sort of a thing. You know, we were all talking like this and there were, <laughs> there were musical numbers and we would definitely go down into the audience and talk to people. But the idea was audiences would come in, 
they would boo the villain, cheer the hero, uh, fawn over the damsel in distress, you know, all of that. Um, but also they would eat and drink and be merry, and there was interaction. Like, it, it truly was an interactive piece of theater, but we had a script, and we stuck to it, and there was a stage. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you could uh, stop in the middle of the script and be like, why are you booing me? I'm right, you know? <laughs> um, That's and so fun. Having, having those opportunities as a performer is really fun, and it also, you know, winks at the audience, and the audience is aware of the constructedness of it all. Um, so, you know expectations around that are built up and maintained um and yeah i i don't know what to say about that except that at the time i didn't feel like it was experimental or um like it was breaking new ground on the theater scene and that's how a lot of people talk about immersive theater, right? Like, it, it honestly felt old-fashioned and, ki and kind of hokey in a really fun way. Um, but it, it didn't feel like this grand new uh, vision of the theater that, that sometimes we, uh, we start to air towards when we talk about immersive theater. Uh, so my, my question is, related to dinner theater, related to immersive theater, um, is at what point... I guess, does it become uh, immersive theater? And at what point is it just theater in front of you that, is, that breaks the fourth wall a little bit, but is ultimately still like theater? Uh, it's not really immersive if you're aware of it being a, th a theatrical production. Am I right? I would say that that line is really fuzzy because aren't you aware of, you know, what's happening in an immersive theater as a theatrical production. Like, it's exaggerated, performed, meant for an audience. Those things are all true. We've just kind of moved the stage. We've moved the nature of the stage a little bit. Um, and I'm kind of reminded of, like, flash mobs, which were <laughs> okay. really, really popular in the early 2000s, and then people stopped doing them. <laughs> Right, like um, like street theater, right? Like uh, yeah. like flash mob theater. Uh, the UCB was really big into this, um, and it's kind of like a, <laughs> um, it's a they come kind of in the middle of a street or on a street corner, just suddenly start performing theater or um or improv skits or some combination of of all of the above, um. And is that is that immersive though, or is it just kind of like up in your face? We're going to make you pay attention to my comedy. <laughs> all right, hot take. <laughs> hot take. Uh, maybe maybe the fieriest, spiciest of all takes I have Ooh. ever made on the podcast. Ooh. I think that's the only form of immersive theater. Oh. And let me tell you why. I can't think of another form of theater with a higher chance to convince its audience that it's actually happening and is real. Okay. Like, you go to the movies, you know it's a movie. You watch TV shows, you know it's TV. You go to a theater, no matter how immersive the environment is, you know there are controls in place, barriers between you and the fiction. You are walking down the street and suddenly somebody starts acting dramatically <laughs> in whatever capacity. You can be convinced, even for a moment, oh my god, is this real? <laughs> People you are know... singing and dancing? Is this just is this just how New York is? <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, this it's a spicy take to be sure, but uh, I but it's a good one. Like that's a good take. I didn't even think of that when I put flash mob theater on our outline to talk about. I didn't really think about it as as actually immersive. I put it on there almost as a joke, like. <laughs> Like, oh, it's just, uh, you know, street theater that literally traps you into caring about the narrative because you can't Listen, escape from it. It but. has it has that quality, too. It has the, oh, God, here we go again. Please, <laughs> just let me. I'm just trying to go to the store, please. <laughs> and, like, it, it definitely has that quality. But I think done right, or maybe maybe not even right, because maybe that's not its goal, but done in a certain way, uh, it can convince its audience that it is a real occurrence. And then at the end, you might even have trouble convincing them that it was all fake, right? You, you might have to bring somebody out and be like, hey, this was a performance. Uh, thank <laughs> you for your patience. Nobody was hurt. Everything is fine. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Yeah. And you have uh, to, yeah, you have to break the immersion. Uh, yeah, you know what? You, I think you might be right. <laughs> And and so maybe it's not the only form of immersive theater, but I think it's a, maybe underexplored or underappreciated as a, a form of immersive theater. Um, and and you know what? Right now, going around our lives, going about our business, and suddenly having a bunch of people appear around us doing some kind of complicated dance number uh, actually sounds terrifying because of like our reality. Yeah, no, that that doesn't <laughs> sound fun anymore, but. But maybe someday soon, <laughs> yeah. when things are a little bit calmer and we're starting to get a, get out and about and I- enjoy crowds again, um, <laughs> I, I think it would be so cool to see kind of a resurgence uh, with a focus on immersion uh, instead of on internet points, <laughs> instead <laughs> instead of on getting a million views on YouTube, right? Like, yeah, what so else long can as we it's do? you know safe and uh, and consensual. Then, then yeah, let's mess with let's mess with some immersive, you know, street theater. That sounds cool. Yeah. Um, uh, how about you know, some other examples? Yeah, there, there, there's a lot of other stuff going on in the world of immersive theater. Um, I would like to talk about one. Uh, it's called uh, augmented reality games, Ooh. or sometimes alternate reality games. But the the acronym you will see is ARG. Uh, and these, this is a form of theater that really centers on the audience experience. Like, uh, sometimes they're like freestanding monuments or locations that you can visit that, you know, have some kind of paper or pamphlet or app connectivity, um, that tells you more of the story as you just kind of go about your business. There's actually a really great one in San Francisco that uh, we were talking about on the uh, Those Happy Podcasts Discord a while ago. Um, and I think that's a form of theater in itself that decenters the performers and uh, focuses on the audience kind of exploring and engaging. Uh, that kind of really reminds me of theme parks in that way. Yeah. Uh, because in theme parks, we're not really thinking of um, the cast members necessarily as like actors that are making the space uh, and telling the story. We kind of see them as like, and this is this is unfortunate, but a lot of the times they are backgrounded, right? Um, this is kind of like that. It's more about uh, a specific location or a place or a conversation that you can have that tells a larger story. Um, about secret organizations of stamp collectors 
Ooh. <laughs> that sounds so fun. <laughs> yeah, stamp collecting, uh, but with a supernatural twist, was my summer last summer. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, but, like, you know, that is a form of immersive theater. And we see that gamification coming more and more into um, theme parks as well. Yeah. Uh, speaking of um, immersiveness and gamification, what about uh, escape rooms? Ooh. It kind of combines both of those ideas into one. The idea that you are immersed into a room and it is a game to try to get out of the room, right? And and there are performances along the way in a lot of these. Yeah. Uh, I remember one that I went to was a haunted record studio in uh, 2015. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, at certain points during that, a, a voice would come on over the intercom and it was the voice of the ghost. And it would be like, get out. And we were like, we're trying to escape. That's the point. Um, it was a lot of fun. I don't know if I think escape rooms are theater, actually. Okay. Uh, here's a, here's a lukewarm take. Um... I think they're a game. Okay. And a game is different than theater. And I'm now contradicting myself. <laughs> um, but, you know, we have to ask ourselves, what is the main consumption of the media, right? Like, how do we consume it? Do we consume it by interacting with it and moving through it and influencing it? Or do we in, uh, consume it by having it happen to us and we kind of more passively, um, you know, kind of accept that? Yeah. Which is uh, why, why I, I'm wondering or almost questioning your um, idea of the ARGs um, being immersive theater or being related to immersive theater. I don't think if escape rooms are disqualified, I don't think that the ARGs... Uh, do count when you use the phrase to decenter the performance and like focus on audience engagement. I wonder at what point, at what point is it no longer theater? Because to, in order to be a theatrical experience, don't you need a performance? Don't you like need to have some kind of of like actor or something in front of you to do a performance for it to even be considered theater in the first place? I think that's, that is an interesting question, and I, I do feel like it's a continuum with multiple axes, uh, <laughs> because my, my follow-up question to that would be, isn't what's most important about a production like The Great Comet or uh, Sweeney Todd in a Pie Shop, like, isn't, isn't, aren't we decentering the performance just a little bit? And making and saying, it about the location? Yes, instead the location of... is what counts, actually. Hmm. I think it it um it like heightens the importance of the location, but I think you can't just throw me into a pie shop and say, "Look, it's like Sweeney Todd, a performance." You know, <laughs> <laughs> you need the performance, and you you need the like people involved for it to be to be um, impactful at all. Uh, so so let me ask you this: Sweeney Todd's immersive theater pie shop. Um, but instead of Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet, Fleet Street, the musical, uh, instead it's a Helena Bonham Carter look-alike behind the counter, and the meat pies are of questionable quality, and it's <laughs> very drab. Um, 
and you go in and you eat and once in a while you hear the faint strains of uh, either screams or uh, musical numbers from above. Um, <laughs> and are you, is that immersive theater? Is that like an immersive performance of Sweeney Todd? Or is that just a themed restaurant? I, I think at that point, it's just a themed restaurant. If you're not seeing like a narrative being played out, which is now why I'm going to say maybe theme parks aren't immersive theater. I am now starting to <laughs> lean away from my decision of now 20 minutes ago. <laughs> because, because a, a right. themed restaurant is not a theme park. We, we, we've we talked about themed restaurants in our theme park podcast, but yes. as like a, what is what is valuable, valuable about a themed experience to get you like in a mood or in, you know, like to entertain, but it's not necessarily uh, to tell a story, which is what theater is, right? And, but, but a theme park doesn't tell a story either. So now, now I'm really confused. <laughs> Here, okay, let's, let's try to establish a baseline so that we can overcome this moment of confusion. Is <laughs> Rainforest Cafe theater? No. It's not? No. Are you sure? Because every 15 minutes, that place puts on a performance. The place puts on a performance, but there's no... The people don't put on a performance. I would say that the waiters with their volcano desserts and sparklers um, might count as performers in this case in a very loose definition. Um, okay, so Rainforest Cafe is further along the theater continuum than any other restaurant. Sure. Okay. Okay, so we're getting there. Okay, I feel like we're, we're getting there. Because I, I feel like the thing is, we are starting to approach some kind of surprising examples of immersive theater, right? Like, maybe Rainforest Cafe doesn't quite qualify, but if we're talking about themed restaurants and that kind of themed to unthemed continuum from that episode, Medieval Times, medieval times. has a theater in it. It, right? it is a theatrical perf it is dinner theater yeah but it's yeah and the theater happening in front of you is the performance of the knights and the the horses and everybody putting on a performance for you while you eat it's not yeah. just a themed restaurant it's dinner theater it is dinner theater and it is participatory and it is place specific like you are in a castle arena thing and you should cheer. Yes. But you don't get to influence, but you get to participate. I, I wonder if the artists behind Sleep No More would say, okay, yeah, but that's not what we do. Like, that's <laughs> different, actually. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I might be inclined to agree. It's at least a different genre of immersive theater, right? Like, like a different category. Maybe a little less serious, but it still is a, a theatrical performance with acting and lines and memorization and things that can go very wrong uh, being performed in front of an audience. Yeah. It's still theater. It is. It, I would say it's a theatrical production for sure, even though the uh, main focus might be on uh, athletics, really, over performance. Um, That's true. But yeah, it's it's a theatrical production. So maybe to move a little bit beyond 
you know, medieval times, but to stay medieval, um, we love Renaissance fairs. We love Renaissance fairs. It would be hard to argue against Renaissance fairs being somewhere close to immersive theater. Right. The people who actually work for the Renaissance fair um, put on characters and act out, um, you know, pieces of, of dialogue and things that, that they're that they're supposed to do. There's even in a lot of Ren fairs like a narrative that runs through the day, if you want to follow it, about uh, you know, the queen and, and there's a joust and somebody gets crowned a champion at the end of the day. And if you're willing to spend opening to closing at a Ren fair, you can see the narrative of the day play out. Um, it's not required. It's not necessary if you attend the Ren fair, but you can you can be you can be witness to a narrative if you want to. Yeah, I think what makes it so interesting is that it's uh, almost secondary to everything else happening at the Ren Fair, but Ren Fair wouldn't be the same without it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you could miss it completely, but I would say that if you missed all of the story, you might not have had a full day at the Ren Fair. Yeah, you need to at least have seen a part of it, whether it's just the joust or just the parade of the queen being, you know, brought through the, you know, through the streets. Um, that almost reminds me, I did, I, this is not part of the outline. I'm going Uh rogue. Uh Um, do you remember, um, Ghost Town Alive? I do remember Ghost Town Alive. So Ghost Town Alive is a, uh, a, I would call it a performance. Um, and it's a, like an interactive performance of a, of a day in the life of like an old west town uh, being performed at Knott's Berry Farm in the ghost town section of Knott's Berry Farm um, where, yeah, you can get um, like a play along sheet, like activity sheet and you can go and talk to people who are all in character and and you can investigate, I think you're investigating a, a crime of some kind. Yeah, um, and I, I seem to remember a uh, an election for mayor happening on the same day. Yeah, and you can go <laughs> vote and participate and like be in the story. Um, you could also just, as we did that day, just be at Knott's Berry Farm and then stumble across the end of the story being told, um, and not have participated at all. But you see that it you see that it happened. Yeah, um, and, and it's not necessary know, to your experience. Alive. Ghost Town Alive was beloved by fans, uh, acclaimed by critics, and really, for me, reinvigorated the idea of the Calico Ghost Town at Knott's Berry Farm. Yeah. Like, the idea that no longer would it just be vendors and a couple of cool little interactive moments that you could have, but that the whole place was connected to this larger script that was happening. It was kind of, it kind of elevated it to the level of, like, uh... Yeah, it was a little clockwork, but uh, a actual interactive town um, that you could at any point pick up or drop uh, and just experience at your leisure. Uh, it's yet another form of entertainment. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like you say, it's secondary. You could you could skip it, or you could do it, or you could find some kind of half measure. Uh, and yeah, Ghost Town was alive for the summers <laughs> that Ghost Town Alive ran. Yeah. Um, so so I, have, I have a question then. So sure. what is it about what is it about live theater, live theatrical performances, or even this live experience of of Ghost Town Alive? Wow, it's a lot of lot of live there. Live, live, live. Um, 
what is it about that live theater that makes it so much more interesting than like a 3D film experience? Why is uh, why is a live performance or a live stunt show or something like that more exciting, more interesting than like uh, Shrek 4D or something at Universal? <laughs> I was about to say Shrek 4D. I, I thought that you might. <laughs> you know, my, and my backup was going to be Muppet Vision 3D. Right. And so let me let me ask you these these questions about these attractions. Mm-hmm. Um, are they place specific? Like. Is it important that they are in the room that they're in? Um, I guess the room that they're in is designed to hold that that performance. Right. Like, technology-wise. Both, so, both yes. Shrek 4D and Muppet Vision 3D have uh, very immersive pre-shows with uh, specialized screens uh, and loading areas uh-huh. and animatronic elements in their shows. Uh-huh. Um, that can only exist in specially outfitted theaters. So it's not... So, okay. You can't just put on Muppet Vision 3D in your local theater. Right? Sure, but it, it, but but the theater that it's in could be anywhere in the park. It, it's not like site... Like Muppet Vision 3D doesn't have to exist where it is, right? Like it's, it's not, it's not location could, specific, it's building specific. Muppet Vision 3D on Matterhorn and that would <laughs> yes. be so awesome. Yeah, I'd go to there obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean like so like site specific like like the building is designed for that but it's not well no I guess it's as specific as a pie shop could be so sure, sure okay. Okay. And I would say they are participatory because they uh, focus on you, the audience, being brought through the stories. Okay. In the case of Muppet Vision, it's Welcome to Muppet Labs. Here's the spirit of 3D. Uh, in the case of Shrek 4D, you are riding in an onion with Shrek and Fiona as they battle the ghosts of Lord Farquaad. Mm-hmm. It's, it's about you. They talk to you. Um, and you do experience it in more dimensions than you might expect. Muppet Vision even has a live actor. Uh, somebody has to play that one big Muppet who comes out at the end. Okay, Forget I was gonna I was gonna bring live live actors into into this in a, in a minute too, in a in our favorite ever theatrical three D two D experience. T two three D. T two T two three D experience. Are we talking about T two? I'm talking about T two three D. Where yeah, where the Terminator to the show in Universal that they used to have, where you would have the screens, but then also John, uh, yeah, Sarah Connor would like run through the screen and then through the audience and then back onto the screen. Um, but yeah, so you have live actors involved, sure. Okay, so the yeah, okay, so I get what you're saying that these right. things are theatrical experiences. This yes. is theater, right? Um. Do you, do you think that they are more interesting than a live theater performance? I think T2 3D, because of the way that it melds live and recorded uh, performances, and because of just how absolutely unique the theater is with the robots that come down from the sides and shoot up yeah. the theater, and the way that the seats move and stuff like that, Honestly, it elevates it above sitting in a theater and watching a standard musical for me. Okay. Um, however, 
uh, Muppet Vision and Shrek 4D do not get there. <laughs> um, that that all said, I I don't know if they qualify as immersive theater, and I'll tell you why. Ooh, because like they are participatory. They do take place in specialized theaters that are unique, uh, and so the place does become important to telling the story. However, they are exactly the same every time, and there is no chance for a little bit of self-determination on the part of the audience. Like, some level of either, either just cheering or booing uh, would be more immersive than this. I feel like these are more traditional theatrical productions because you face one way and consume a story. Mm -hmm. And there's very little interaction with the space, very little looking around to do, and the story will happen at the same pace every time. And I think that's what, what kind of makes a wider gulf uh, and maybe can help us define immersive theater a little bit better, right? Like, are you in any amount of control over how you experience the story? Um, because it's not a game. You're not playing it and moving it forward by your action. But in a lot of the cases of immersive theater that we talk about, the really famous ones, it is really about, like, can you interact with the actors a little is there a little time to talk, right? Is there time to walk around? Is there time to check out this shop and see if the pies are being sold there? <laughs> if they're full of human meat? Oh, what? no! <laughs> right? Like, I feel like that makes it more immersive theater, really. Um, and so I would even say that my dinner theater experience at the Melodrama Playhouse um, wouldn't be. No matter okay. how much booing and cheering an audience does, the, the show goes on, doesn't it? Right. Yes. It's not really about choice. It's about freedom? Hmm. hmm. Huh. So. Yeah, right? <laughs> so. Um, is immersive theater a theme park? Is the idea of immersive theater a theme park? Yes. Kinda. Or. No. Or is a theme park immersive theater? That's a better question. Right? Because, like, <laughs> is immersive theater a theme park? It, it doesn't need to be. Mm -hmm. Is a theme park immersive theater? It certainly can be. And we've already talked about a couple of examples of how it is. Ghost Town Alive, the promise of Batu, yeah, you know, the mm -hmm. the delivery on Batu, notwithstanding, but the promise of Batu. I love Batu, but thank you. Um, <laughs> no, um, and we've, I mean, we've addressed the idea too of um, of immersiveness in uh, in a theme park back in episode sixteen. We did a whole episode on um, character meet and greets. Uh, the idea of interacting with a character from your favorite movie who who is an actor who has to improv their way through the conversation. Yeah, and those those moments, it's hard to describe them as anything other than theater. Yeah. They're not freewheeling free adventures with your new favorite friend from a movie you like. 
they are scripted interactions. You know, there are limits. There are limits, but they have a little bit of freedom of choice. Right. A little bit, but it's still enough. You know, if you surprise them with something, they have to think on their feet and really, you know, stay in character. Yeah. Which talking to a character and, and interacting with a character who you don't necessarily know exactly what they're going to say next, um, but they are fully in character as somebody that you've like seen on TV. Um, that's about, I don't know, that feels about as, as immersive as it can get. Yeah. Uh, it, it, again, we draw the magic circle and say, we know this isn't real. It's not really real. But it's real enough, uh, and we're going to have the fun in the space to tell the story together, right? And telling the story together with the audience, I think, is a huge part of how theme parks do what they do, actually. You know, um, can we not argue that, like, a, a big attraction, let's say Rise of the Resistance, is not immersive theater, can we really make that argument? I, I don't think so. Oh no! I think if any if any attraction if any ride is considered immersive theater, it has to be Rise of the Resistance. Right, but like let's Man. let's go let's go back in time a little bit. Like is is Haunted Mansion immersive theater? It certainly no. has compelling performances. It certainly has a compelling uh, theater that it takes place in. Uh, you know the mansion itself. And yet, you said no right away because it's not really about you, and there isn't a lot of choice. It's very directed, right? And it's not really, and it's not really theater, then, is it? I mean, I don't know. I don't I mean, know. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> it, the, the great part about this conversation is that we have both gone back and forth on every <laughs> point multiple and, times. And now I'm in no, I'm nowhere. I'm, I'm I don't know the answer. Actively nowhere. I I think I would say that theme parks have immersive theater. I think we can't say that theme parks are a theater. I think immersive theater is a thing that can happen at a theme park. Yes. And I think that might be the line that I can draw, especially at Disneyland. Like Disneyland is not some grand theater that is telling this big unified story. It is a set of aesthetics and attractions that tell separate smaller stories, some of which take the form of immersive theater. Yes. And that's not that's not a catchy line or anything, <laughs> but I feel like that's kind of where I'm landing. Like the Jungle Cruise, yes, immersive theater. Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Forbidden Eye, not exactly immersive theater. An an immersive experience, but not theatrical not theatrical yes i yes i agree i agree <laughs> since immersive theater does not need to be participatory um in order to be immersive it um or or so the definition says um any you know any any show that you watch it you don't need to be able to influence the outcome in order for it to be considered immersive theater that's true um so any any theater no <laughs> that's too far <laughs> that's too broad <laughs> okay i have i have one last question here about a very specific place um that maybe closes the gap a little bit more okay 
and that place is called Evermore. Yes. Evermore Park in Utah, a place that we would like to visit someday, but cannot at the moment. <laughs> um, you know, it prides itself on being a large-scale theatrical performance. Yes, it is with, a, a theatrical experience. Yeah, with, with you know, dozens of living characters, uh, branching storylines influenced by the audience, um, and kind of seasons during which different stories are told yeah, uh, in like, kind of a television format. Yeah. So is that one big immersive theater as a theme park? Right, because they market themselves as a theme park. Right? They're like, yes, we are a big, large, like, huge-scale theatrical performance, and we have all of these, you know, uh, elements of, you know, immersion, uh, but we're a theme park. We have attractions and things. Do they have rides? I've never... I don't believe they have any rides. Oh. I think they just kind of have walkthroughs and this big immersive thing. Okay. Um, well, with no rides and no, like, other attractions that are that could be like that could break the immersion then maybe evermore park is a huge immersive theater yeah and you know what i now i'm starting to wonder like is evermore park a theme park or is it a themed park Ooh. <laughs> and, and i think that is a ridiculous distinction and we should never ask that question again but um you know with no rides it it really does take it from maybe maybe less amusement park and more just about an area uh with some wilderness um that is themed um so kind of a themed park huh. um well. yeah well alice if we have succeeded in anything we have succeeded in asking a lot of questions <laughs> yes. um, but it does sound like our conversation about the line between immersive theater and theme parks has come to an end yes this conversation will absolutely have to be continued online like all our favorite conversations we want to continue online but this one especially uh immersive and participatory we want to hear from you yes uh we are both always on twitter um i'm at buddy underscore duquesne duquesne is spelled d-u-q-u-e-s-n-e and i am on twitter and on instagram at alice white thp for those happy places and <laughs> that's the show if, you're listening to right now. What? <laughs> um, and if you like what we do and you want to support what we do, uh, even though what we do is ask ridiculous questions about theme parks, um, you can always support us on Patreon. Yes, you can support us on Patreon. In fact, you should consider it because there are some really cool bonus episodes and features that come with being a patron, including you could get your name read on to the sh on the show if you That's... you know if you if you donate at a certain level. So our our very good patrons: Aslam C, Charles G, April L, Ian E, Nicholas H, Reed J, uh, AJ G. Jim C and Kate P all are in our donation tiers that get your name read onto an episode. Thanks, guys. Yes, thank you to all of our patrons. It is such an honor that you have continued to support us during these strange times. Um, it means the world, and we could not do what we do without you. Um, so thank you. And if you do not count yourself among our patrons right now, we understand the best thing you can do for the show other than support us monetarily is just to tell people about it. Absolutely. Tweet, 
Instagram, Facebook, a billboard taken out over the 405 freeway. What? Anything. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. I thought um, so. Yeah, a billboard would be great. And if you do put up the billboard, uh, let us know. So we can go, I don't know, um, live in it. In I think it. we're allowed yeah. to live in the billboard if it's about our podcast. Yeah, I think that, that sounds right. Those are the rules. <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, tell, tell your friends about it. Leave us a, 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 you know, a rating and review if you feel up to it. Uh, we've got some amazing feedback and we just, we can't thank you all enough for listening. And of course, the biggest, bestest thanks to uh, the inspiration for this episode, Joe W, for your amazing email. Yeah, Joe, thank you so much. This email obviously opened up a lot of questions, but we hope that this discussion uh, at least led us towards some kind of answer. Um, so thank you so much for that prompt. It really blew our minds a little bit. Yeah, it was a, a wonderful email and just uh, the kind of thing that we like live for when we make this show um, to be able to have conversations like this with people who are just as interested in the topic as we are. Um, and yeah, it's gosh, we feel so lucky. <laughs> you know, Alice, uh, I think I'm going to add some music to this episode. Ooh, music from where? Uh, I think all of the music we use in this episode will probably be written by Kevin McLeod. Uh, he has a website, uh, incompetech.com, where his music is available for free as long as we, under the Creative Commons 4.0 Attributions License, say thank you to him, Kevin McLeod, for giving us this music. So yes. thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. And uh, uh, buddy, um, speaking of music, I hear some ramping up in the background. Is that Golden Gate by the California Feet Warmers featuring Phil Alvin? I believe that it is, and you can find this and many other amazing tracks by the Feet Warmers at CaliforniaFeetWarmers.com. Alice, thank you so much for doing this episode with me. Thank you for doing this episode with me. This was such a fun topic to research and write about. Um, I was, like, more than happy to do it. Yeah, and, uh, you know... What, what I love about how we do this podcast is sometimes we plan and plan and plan and then we just forget the plans halfway through the conversation. <laughs> uh, and it becomes about whatever connections we're making in the moment. And what makes this podcast special is that you and I get to talk through these concepts and ideas. And I think we always become better at talking about them as we talk together. So yeah. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't imagine doing this show with anybody else. You are my favorite co-host and best friend. You're my favorite co-host and my best friend. <laughs> uh, and to everyone out there, thank you for listening, and we hope you return to those happy places. <laughs> <laughs>